On behalf of CREATE, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live together today. For myself, this is the Anawan people. I would like to pay my respects to their elders, both past and present, and stand with my Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cousins from across the pond and acknowledge my motherland at Rotorua as they are the present and future leaders of our today and tomorrow. Welcome to the CREATE Foundation podcast. We represent the voices of over 45,000 children and young people in out-of-home care around Australia. Every day, we connect children and young people to each other, empower them to have a voice, and create change in the care system. In this series, you will be hearing directly from CREATE Young Consultants about their experiences and how they've overcome adversity to achieve incredible things. We would like to flag that these episodes may include some references to child abuse or neglect, which may be triggering for some listeners. Let's jump in and hear from these inspiring young people. Hello and welcome to today's CREATE podcast. My name is Emily Hekaiti and I am here today with the incredible Australian advocate, Letitia Quince. How are you doing today, Letitia? I'm well, Em. How are you? I am so good. The sun is shining here in little old Armadale, so I'm very happy. How's the weather like on your end? Oh, it's been a nice sunny day today here in Newcastle. Um, been loving the fact that it's not as cold anymore. And daylight savings has also been great for some later evenings. Absolutely. And I know you're a little bit like me and like to um, get out and soak up that sun. So I hope you're doing that the same. Um, Look, we're here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your interests and your story. It's been a while since we've spoke. Yeah, it has. So I, I want to actually do a quick introduction in language in my Aboriginal um, Radri language as well, just to kickstart today. So Yuridu Marang, Yuandu Letitia, Radri Yina, Dabo D, Barrisville D, Guga Gajira, Bangadurai, Nurumbangu. What I just said is, hello, my name is Letitia. I'm a Radri woman and I now, I come from Dubbo and now live in Barrisville. I'd also like to acknowledge that my nation totem is the Gawena. In extending that acknowledgement, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and country from all across Australia um, and acknowledge the power that our ancestors has given us and guided us along the way. I am now currently based on Wanarua country, um, which is Barrisfield near Newcastle. However, I've grown up on beautiful Rajri country all my life and always had a proud connection to um, Dubbo community where I've lived for the last, uh, I say about 10 years. I'd also like to extend that acknowledgement to elders past, present and future emerging leaders, extend the beauty of the land that we're on from mother earth all the way through to Biami, our um, father and sky as well, all through our waters and all for the um, gifts that they will bring to us to nourish and nurture us every single day and extend to any proud Aboriginal young people listening in today. You guys are so deadly. Um, I absolutely love getting to connect with other mob and also getting to connect to connect with all the amazing cultures that we have across our country today as well. 
beautifully said because you're absolutely right we've probably got a lot of young deadly leaders listening to this podcast as well Um, a huge um, cultural connection um, with our young people in advocacy at the moment we've got a lot of emerging um, indigenous leaders Azidi leaders Polynesian leaders um, and I'm so excited to be able to have further conversations um, with young people coming through this as well and coming through create so you're involved in advocacy, Letitia. Um, I know personally the kind of work that you do is extensive, very impressive stuff, and you contribute a lot to your community. But are you able, in your words, able to tell our listeners a little bit about the stuff that you do? Yeah, of course. So a bit more about me. So I am now 24, so I'm about to age out, so they say, from the, um, the care system per se. But I grew up in care since I was 12 years old. So I came in as a young person, as a teenager. um, And it was a space where I felt that my voice wasn't always empowered and wasn't always listened to. And so like growing up in care and going through those experiences, um, I used my resilience and my ability to not stay quiet, to not only voice for myself, but also voice for other young people growing up in care um, or that have had a care experience. And so with advocating and pretty much what that means to me is standing up for what's right and um, what that means to other young people as well, because we have to do it as a community, not just as one person, because it is such a big system to create change to. Um, and the fact that young people's lives are so important and so powerful that it's something that's driven who I am as a person for as long as I can remember now. Um, the different things that I've been involved in over the last seven years, for example, is like being chairperson of the Dubbo City Youth Council. So I did that for a couple of years, which is what first got me into that leadership idea. Um, I also have been um, like a part of CREATE since 2015. I've been a youth ambassador for ABSEC since 2015 and also a youth ambassador for for young consultant, as they say, for UC Change for uh, what used to be DOCS, then became FACTS and now (laughs) is DCJ. for them since 2016 as well. So my voice has been pretty much across any opportunity that I could to voice for the lives of children and young people in outer home care, but also for the lives of children and young people across the country for all different matters from like youth homelessness to mental health to um, juvenile justice through to Aboriginal culture and care and um, everything that's important to us as young people. Yeah, absolutely. I have been in the advocacy game now since, what, 2016, um, since I graduated, and your name and and Backhouse has been two of the most prominent um, in advocacy since I started. Um, I know that you just said you started with creating 2015. Um, I started through my residential work with my young people, but how did you start with Create? What inspired you to get working with them? Um, I first connected with CREATE back in 2014. So it was my last year in school and they had a Connect event out in Dubbo. So that's where I was living. And so I went to that event and I 
met the team there initially and then they invited me to come along to their speak up training the year after and so I asked my little sister as well if she wanted to come um, because I am one I'm the eldest of six um, so I brought her along and we traveled down to Wagga and did the three days of speak up training as well so that was basically the core to me understanding what advocacy really was because we delved into what does advocacy mean? How can you safely use your story to voice for change? Um, and how can you actually unleash that voice um, in a public space as well, not just for yourself, but for other people? Yeah, I completely reciprocate that. I. I know that when I first went to my speak up training originally, the word systematic was a word that I really had never heard before. And now it's something that I have underlining meaning to in my own business and uh, my own policy and things like that. So it really did change the way that I thought about advocating for myself. I'm one of eight siblings, not the oldest. So you've definitely got a job there, Letitia. Um, did you go through any stigma or did any of your six other siblings go through any stigma? And how did you experience that being a young person in out of home care? Yeah, so I, I recall the stigma straight off the bat literally the first day I walked into the school knowing that like my foster siblings were older than me so they were known within the school um, and that people knew that I wasn't related to them so the questions came literally on the first day of why aren't you with your parents why aren't you um, why are you here um, what happened to you and those questions created stigma in itself to make me different from everyone else within the school because I was at a school that only had 80 children um, from K to 12 and so um, that was the first point where I had to start learning how to tell my story um, and how to safely tell it because it was something that was uneasy for me at the time because it was also raw and new and traumatic um, that in time I was able to shape how I wanted people to actually think of me beyond just being the outsider within the school. Um, but it was difficult because I experienced bullying within the school to the point that I had, including from a teacher, so I had to leave the school and I moved schools and started traveling two hours to go to a new school. Um, and that was the game changer because in that school, it was a bigger, it was in Dubbo, so it was bigger. I was accepted for who I was. I was given opportunity to have a voice in different ways, wherever I was on the Aboriginal debate team and um, on part of different like the ACG meetings as well. So I was able to also finally embrace my culture within the school because the previous school didn't identify Aboriginal people within the, the school community very well. Um, and there was nothing for me there versus this big um, opportunity that came in year 10 when I swapped schools. Um, and that was really the game changer for me because I was able to delve into um, more creative outlets like dancing as well. Um, and also be able to do the different cultural activities that were there, um, which is super important to me.
Wow, that is really impressive stuff, Letitia, for you to be able to overcome a small school situation and then move into a bigger fishbowl and be able to branch out into areas of both culture and acceptance is really, really important. Um, you really spoke quite well then about the stigma that you went through in high school, but being 24 now, are you able to touch on some of the stigma that you've um, both gone through and overcome now as an adult living with an out-of-home care experience? A hundred percent, I can talk to that. And I can talk to that in a way that um, even a couple of years ago, because I was a youth worker for seven years, so I've just come into um, looking after my and running my own business now. Um, no, you know, credit to you as well, doing awesome consulting work in your little business. Um, but also the fact that when I was in the youth sector, I experienced people um, degrading and um, basically belittling who I was as a youth worker because of my care experience. So there were times where there were comments made that I wasn't the right person for the role when a role was specific to me, mentoring and coaching young people in out-of-home care. So that was actually really interesting because I had been a caseworker for two and a half years prior working within the youth homelessness and at-risk sector. And the main young people that I supported were young people that had also gone through care. So not only did I have a passion for wanting to change the way the out-of-home care system worked, um, but I also saw the other side of it as well as a caseworker. So then when I went into this new role that I transitioned to in April 2019, to have that backlash was unexpected because I was like, haven't I proved my point already that I am an amazing youth worker and that I'm on the ground making a difference and I'm using my experiences in a positive way um, and using that resilience, that fact that even as adults, we still um, experience that stigma that because we grow, grew up in care that we're broken and we're unable to overcome the hardships or there's, we're going to be triggered by trauma in our jobs all the time or um, that we're you know, not worthy of being able to sit above, even not even at the same level, but above what other youth workers are doing or what other um, people in community are doing because we have another level within what we do. We have lived experience and we have resilience and we have um, passions and a burning fire within us that sits above. Um, and not to say that other people aren't amazing in their youth worker roles or working with young people in out of home care, but I just find there's a different level of connection when you've had that experience and the young people become aware of that that they know that you're on the same page and you get them on a deeper level when you're working with them as well. Absolutely. Um, I worked in residential care work. I've worked in youth services and mostly more often than not received the role that I have because of my lived experience background, you know, and um, we talk quite often about, well, I talk quite often um, about the 
elitism that happens um, in the social services sector, um, even in family and community services itself. You know, I'm never able to be a caseworker with them unless I go through university and do my degree. And um, as a young person coming out of out of home care with a six year old son, looking after my two sisters, university is a dream for me into long adulthood. So um, I understand what you mean on both a personal and a systematic level. I, I worked in residential care as well and received a lot of degrading comments about, you know, you can't talk to young people about that but that's why I got my job is through lived experience and being able to connect with that young person on that level so yeah props to both of us really dude for being able to um get through that to overcome that stigma that really does get hurdled at us and um, a lot of people not understanding what it is like to be a young person in out-of-home care. Um, I know for myself a lot of my bosses and managers um, as an adult had never even heard of the out-of-home care system before meeting somebody like me so um, props to both of us. I'll tell you right now dude you're doing an incredible job um, and we both have the potential and the right to be um, equal and just as above um, any policy makers out there who think that they can do what we do without the lived experience because it's possible yeah. but nothing about us without us man so um, I absolutely understand where you're coming from and I'm really curious to know in what you believe we could be doing or the system could be doing to address the stigma that is consistent for young people in out of home care and adults that are um, transitioning to independent living. Yeah, I think um, it's one of those things that the biggest thing that we can do is actually talk about it and actually voice it because for a lot of it, um, these things happen behind closed doors and people don't complain or escalate when these comments are made or um, when they when young people, like, especially in schools, feel and experience these things that we just let it slide because we don't want to deal with the conflict or we don't want to deal with the bullies. Um, but at the same time, it's the best thing that we can do is stand our ground to voice against this stigma and a voice and show that we're not just a kid in care. Like we're more than that. We are amazing entrepreneurs, um, very gifted, very talented, smart, um, young people in a way that we bring something completely different within how we view and say and think as well. I know that within my own personal experiences, I grew up a lot quicker than a lot of my peers. So I was already having adult conversations or responsibilities that were beyond my years and having to hold that wise insight because of my lived experiences and how that shaped now when I know that people look at me and they go, how do you think or feel like that when you're only 24? Like I'm still struggling and I'm in my forties and I'm like, it's because of my experiences and because of having to stand my ground and fight for what was my rights and fight for my siblings rights and fight for all other young people um, and their rights as well, because like I said, I have never done it for myself. Um, as in like when I advocate, I don't do it to prove for myself. I've always done it more so for other people because I'm a giver, mm -hmm. I'm a nurturer and I'm a carer. And so I'm constantly thinking about how is this going to impact somebody else? How, um, how can we get things moving for this young person? And so I think, yeah, speaking up is, um, number one um, but also 
not doing it alone. I think coming together as a collective um, of voices and experiences and opinions because everyone's experience and journey matters and we're all different and we've all come from um, different backgrounds, different cultural identities, um, that we all have something to bring to this conversation, to this debate, to this um, space of change. Absolutely spot on the money there because we're advocates and that's what we do is we use our voice we speak up and I completely reciprocate what you're saying there when this has never ever been about me this has never been an individual fight it's always it's been a way to help manage my aggressive passions towards my own life and my own feelings and help you know mediate those emotions but ultimately the results that I want and the success that matters is changing lives for other young people and changing policy to help change their lives and um, really reciprocating there with you that this isn't about us and you know when you start using your voice that one time to stand up for the stigma that you're facing you're also using your voice for all of those other people that are facing that stigma as well so um, I completely reciprocate what you're saying I think that it's a it's a pure strength in being able to do that and being able to find the collective that helps you do that as well and um, I think that we we're really lucky in being able to be approached by Create and um, having them give us kind of faith that we didn't have in ourselves and um, our voice and show us that platform in its fullest potential so um, really really incredible stuff you went through there about you know speaking up for your own voice and being able to have that confidence but what would be your advice to young people who do experience negative attitudes that may not have the people or the community or the um, linguistic ability to be able to speak up for themselves? I think when it comes to, and the reason why I speak up is acknowledging that I'm speaking up for people that might not yet know what their voice is. And, and that's okay because it takes a lot of guts and it takes time to build up how do you want to represent and speak for yourself. And so in saying that is always remembering that, and it's something, it's a key message that I've always lived with, is remembering that no matter what people throw at you, no matter what comments, hurdles, um, that you're not alone in this conversation. Um, you're not alone as a person. And remembering that also that we are not in control of other people's actions mm -hmm. and what they say and do. We are only in control of how we think and feel and act after we experience that. So if you're not in a space where you feel that you can speak up now, that is 100% fine. But there's also other ways you can still make change without having to voice it, um, whether it's through um, like technology and um, talking to your other support systems just to get it off your chest because I feel like a lot of time we bury um, these painful experiences and that's when the explosions come or that's when the breakdowns come and so to still be connecting and yarning with our support systems and relying on our safety nets as well because they are the people that are going to help us through this point in time that when we are ready to voice up or when we're ready to share it with somebody that's going to then voice up for us, um, that we know that it's, you know, we're okay and we're supported and we know that we're still going to be moving forward and to know that we are who we are 
and that we should be proud of that we shouldn't be um scared to live for the person that we are so whether that's through you know your race your sexual identity through um your belief systems and who you are I feel like there's a lot of suppression that happens for young people in out-of-home care when it comes to self-identity as well um because we're not allowed to do so much in order to be able to express ourselves. We're restricted. Like you can't get your nose pierced mm-hmm. or you can't get a tattoo or you can't dye your hair blue or you can't um, like just so many different things that limit us that we like constantly feel like we're held back. So I think that if we start living in the way that we start doing those things more freely um, and building support people that are going to advocate for us to be able to do those things, um, that it's okay to not voice now and to have other people be that voice for you as well. Yeah, I feel like self-awareness is really kind of a highlighting topic here when it comes to becoming a young person in out-of-home care to an adult in out-of-home care and, you know, looking at um, our personal situations and you're right, those things that we kind of missed out on with character building and personality building. I feel like a lot of young people have the opportunity to maybe try two or three different sports in a year and as a young person in care, you don't really have that opportunity because there's restrictions on funding and red tape and caseworkers and, you know, it's absolutely something that is difficult, but you're right. If you have those support networks and you're having those uncomfortable conversations and you're feeling self-aware about your situation and what potential you have and what things can hold you back, um, you definitely are going to be in a situation that's a bit more helpful for yourself. I know personally for me growing up, a lot of that was um, addressing actual legal complaint systems. And once I understood an organization's complaint system, it kind of made me feel as though I had confidence in being able to do that. So if I understood if I could complain to their manager or if I could complain to the ombudsman or if I had rights regarding fair trading, it felt that I had that strength behind me and that political backing and that legal backing as well. So, you know, even where you don't feel as though you have a strong support network, um, there's definitely organisations out there that have processes that are built into them um, to really help you in those situations if you have complaints or you have worries um, about your situation or your case plan or how you're being treated because our rights and our rights as a young person are really really important and you know having stigma um, ultimately goes against our rights as young people so it needs to be addressed you're right Letitia the uncomfortable conversations um, need to be had I asked this um, really because growing up in foster care I went through a lot of different houses very quickly and I was very young Um, so I knew of heaps of foster kids in my town but wasn't really having conversations with them about their experiences you said that you were uh, living with a foster family in Dubbo that you knew were a foster family but were there more of you around were you open to a network of -of out-of-home care kids? Um, so with my experience, um, I actually grew up in the smaller town, little town, um, outside of Dubbo. And so there were actually a couple of foster kids in that small town as well, um, but it wasn't really spoken about. But when I did move to Dubbo for schooling, 
um, that's when I finally was connected to a couple of more kids, but not really in my time in care. Um, was it like prioritized? Um, like those relationships weren't friendships. They were just, it might be occasionally I've come to a connect, a connect activity or um, the NGO has put on an end of Christmas, like an end of year Christmas party as well. So they were the only opportunities that I had to meet other young people. And so I guess that's where um, I did feel alone in that space um, because within my own schools, I didn't know many other young people. Um, and if I did, they were a lot, they were only little kids like in kindy. And um, so it wasn't like a space of connection for me. And it wasn't until actually leaving care, so after turning 18, that it was like there were so many more people in my world um, because through all the advocacy opportunities um, and also becoming more involved with having found Create and um, also Absec, I was able to connect to you as one of my awesome friends over the years. Um, <laughs> but also so many other deadly people that really have inspired me as much as I feel like I've inspired them. Like, I feel like it's like this big turntable where we're constantly bouncing off one another and able to um, show young people that we aren't alone because that's the biggest thing I felt during my teens, like during high school was that idea that I was like I it was even isolated at school like I didn't have many friends because I felt that I was different because of growing up in care so I I think I accidentally also isolated myself because of that because I felt like I wasn't the same as everybody else um in hindsight looking back at high school and I did make some amazing connections with a couple of girls that I still have in my circle now. Um, but it was something that I became best friends with them post school, that in school I found it a lot harder to connect to people because I was scared of being rejected or um, not being accepted for who I was or being faced with that, the stigmas again. So I think that's where advocacy became so powerful for me was because I felt like I was in charge of something. I was in control of what was said next um, versus what someone else was going to say to me. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% can tell you that you're one of my greatest advocacy friends as well. And throughout all of my advocacy journeys, the people that I've met has been the best outcome because, you know, you just meet people that do astonishing things, say astonishing things, are continuing to do astonishing things. I was having a conversation with uh, Youth Action the other day, actually, and was speaking about you and we were speaking about how you do something, I see another advocate do something similar, but in their area, I see another advocate do something similar in their area. And, you know, we're all around that same 23 to 25 year old age where we're competing in this advocacy area for change. You know, we're all hell bent on the one thing that we want to see be done, whether that's more for um, our Indigenous youth, whether that's more for our homelessness sector, whether that's more for um, transitioning into independent care. I see all of these amazing, ugh, 
all of these amazing projects coming out of the advocates that I was standing with when I was fresh out of school, you know, and um, I think that's one of the greatest strengths that we find in addressing this stigma is being able to find other advocates and being like, hold on, you're really, really cool. I didn't think I was that cool, but you've just shown me that if you're that cool, then I'm that cool. And again, like you said, it gets in this little like circle of really cool advocacy stuff and really, really um, helpful things that make you feel motivated. I know coming into residential care, I kind of felt like the staff member that was pitied but told they were doing a good job because they were pitied, if you kind of understand what I mean. You know, coming out of lived experience, I was like, am I doing a really good job at this? Or is it because I know so much about it, I feel like I'm doing mm. a good job of it? Yeah, and now at 23 years old, I'm able to say with truth to it that I am doing a really, really good job at this. And, you know, we as advocates are exceptionally skilled in our community services sector and we can use what we've gone through to both better other people's lives and better our own career paths and situations as well. Thanks for listening in. With your help, we can snap the stigma children and young people in out-of-home care face in Australia. You can support us by following us on social media, sharing our advocacy messages, and sending this podcast to a friend or family member to listen to. Head to create.org.au for more information or head to the show notes below. See you next time.